Yeah, George. How would you like your own TV show? Okay. Channel 62 needed a new station manager. No, not him. Forget it. No way. Well, this is even better than I imagined. But what they got was a man so desperate for ratings. Today, we're teaching poodles how to fly. He put anyone on the air. It's Weird Al Yankovic in UHF. Rated PG-13. Special sneak preview Friday, July 14th. Check newspapers. Together, have a few laughs. Astronauts of the universe. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of the Cinemasters of the Universe podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the host of the left, the Rental King, Ron Avis. And today we're going to be talking about the movie UHF. Uh, our first of four movies of the month, where we're going to be doing April Fools. And uh, this is uh, from 1989, rated PG-13, 97 minutes long. That's one minute shy of the perfect runtime for a comedy. Joining me, as always, is my co-host of the North, the one who's always ready to spin the wheel of fish, Mr. Adam Peterson. Well, that's that's my mop. <laughs> that's my mop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so th- this is this is UHF starring Weird Al Yankovic. Oh damn, I was I fell asleep on the fader there. That's my bad. <laughs> I'm usually a little bit better about the the fader. The music just ends abruptly. <laughs> it just happens. Sometimes yeah, life happens. It does it life hap- life happens? UHF. Here we are. You know, it, it, UHF is about uh, a a UHF station with we'll just say less than stellar production uh, values. Although some of these shows get really good once they get a little bit more money. Uh, but we're akin to that, you know, like there are better produced podcasts out there, but we, this, we we're doing it the UHF way, the U62 yeah. way. That's the way we're doing it. We are the UHF. Podcasts. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I love this movie, man. This, this could also very easily been like a movie that we love. Uh, which which is a cop out in of its own, really. I mean, a lot of our monthly themes are so total cop outs because they're just all movies we really enjoy. But we 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 adhere to the theming of the movie a little bit. Oh yeah, and you know, April is is among us, and April Fools, April first uh, is you know a is a holiday. Like that's just one of those holidays that it starts as a kid and just really kind of you never grow out of. And I have never grown out of this movie. I adore this movie. I adore it now as much as I did when I was a 12-year-old kid, uh, which in 1989, that's about how old I was. And it was made for me like this. I was so excited to see this movie. And, you know, unfortunately, it just happened to come out during a summer where there was so much excellent competition. Tons of movies. Tons and tons of movies, and I know that Weird Al has mentioned it in old, you know, interviews and stuff. He's like, this this movie, he 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 thought he was being groomed. He thought he was being groomed to be like the next big movie star. You know, like Orion was grooming him, probably hoping that he would be like a big movie star because he had already accomplished so much in the realm of 
of of records you know like he he was what parodies were for a long time and in the late 80s and the early 90s parodies were huge in in movies so it it stands to reason that you take the king of parodies in the in the 80s and may, put him in a movie doesn't even really hardly matter what it is so much and i know that it, you know, like, cause I, I've got the UHF Blu-ray or whatever the, from, um, oh gosh, Shout Factory. I think it's, I think yeah. it's who made the, the Blu-ray and they do a phenomenal job always with their supplemental material. They, they kind of picked up that man, that mantle from the early DVD years when they would just stuff everything with supplemental material. Blu-rays have not, it's just always about the 4k and how the resolution, not so much the supplemental materials. Um, but he, he had lamented like, you know, like I, I, I was really let down when this movie tanked at the box office and it, it's, it's really only, it's just the timing of the movie. They released it at a terrible time is, <laughs> I mean, I, you look at it. I mean, I didn't write them all down, but I did write down from, from July 20, well, July 21st was when the movie released, but between, um, let's see, July 20, July 16th and the 23rd, these are the movies that came out just in that time period. Okay, Weekend at Bernie's, Lethal Weapon 2, uh, Batman came out late June, Ghostbusters 2 came out during that time, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out during that time. I think uh, there was a James Bond movie that came out right around that time, one of the Timothy Dalton movies. Uh, Just so many freaking blockbusters came out at the exact same time. And, you know, this movie had a very, very modest budget of $5 million, which is low even for 1989, I would say. Grossed only about $6 million and had an opening weekend gross of two, just a little over $2 million. So it it tanked. And it only played in, in cinemas for two weeks. It was out. And at that time, you know, being a kid of a single parent, you know, growing up in that household, like money's tight. We did get to go see Batman, and I did get to go see Ghostbusters too. Like those are two, and I think I might have seen Honey I Shrunk the Kids even at a drive, uh, drive-in. Uh, I believe I probably saw that, but you know, most of those movies that I mentioned, and uh, several of that I didn't mention that did, were released around the same time. Like I had to watch those on video, and I remember like really wanting to see this in theaters. Like I didn't think it was going to tank necessarily, but. I, I felt like even at 12, I was like, I need to see this movie as soon as possible because I don't know if I'm going to get much, many opportunities. Yeah. But the problem was I had older brothers, neither of which were Weird Al fans. And my mom's not a Weird Al, but she, you know, she, she was like really my only person that I could go into taking me to see a movie. Uh, older brothers, you, you know, you can sell Batman really easily. <laughs> you can oh, even yeah. sell Ghostbusters really easily. You can't sell UHF all that easily unless you're already a fan. And the thing, you know, the thing about this show, and I'm going to make this clear right up front for all of the listeners of this, of this episode, this movie is going to be probably less about the actual movie and more about just what was going on with me and my fandom of Weird Al at the time. And yes, we are going to talk about the movie because it is funny. It is a funny movie. Oh, it is. Uh, But Weird Al was huge for me back in the day. Like I, I was already into him and I, I didn't own a lot of my own like albums when I was a kid. I didn't have many, but I was allowed to have Weird Al because he was like a safe choice for a parent to go and buy a Weird Al Yankovic song. Like, I mean, it's, it's just a lot of fart gags and accordions and stuff. And like, you know, and his, his songs are parodies. 
Uh, and, but the thing with him is he's like a really good musician. He can sing really well. He can make himself sound like all these different genres, like really seamlessly. And you know, so I was allowed to listen to a lot of the parody versions of popular songs that were out on the radio at the time. You know what I mean? Like it was a safe thing to do. Like you could jam out yeah. to those. And it was a nerdy thing, you know, in in the eighties being a nerd was like a death sentence. Like you didn't you couldn't wear your nerddom on your sleeve like you can nowadays. Like it's like a badge of honor nowadays. Everything that's cool is has like roots in nerddom, really. Yeah, <laughs> if nerds, you think about it. <laughs> nerds were eventually able to come out of that nerd closet and be like, right. Okay, I'm not gonna be shunned for the things that I like. Because mm-hmm. and because and and what's what's funny is like you know, a lot of the stuff went mainstream a lot. I mean, like, cause I remember, um, it was early nineties when, um, what was, what was the, the album that had the, the Coolio song, bad hair, day, uh, bad, wasn't it? bad hair day. Yeah. Came out in 96. Yeah. yeah. So that was like, he was only a few years away from that. Like, and that, I mean, that to me was, I mean, he, he was niche through the eighties. I mean, like mm-hmm. he was culturally relevant. People knew who he was. Oh yeah, but uh, <clears throat> but like it felt like, as and especially from my perspective, coming into the in the nineties when he, uh, you know, when Amish Paradise came out, like it, that felt like when when Weird Al was not just like relevant but embraced, yeah. like everybody's like, oh, everybody was, talking. I was like, oh, because like, I mean he had, I mean there were several of the, I mean you know Madonna and Michael Jackson big name parodies that he had done oh, in yeah. the eighties. Oh yeah. Um, he had, it, he it was just, a staple of MTV. He was as much a staple of yeah. MTV as Madonna and, and, and Michael Jackson, but he was for your kids. You know what I mean? Like he, he yeah. was the safe, safe choice. MTV was for teens. Really. It was kind of more like your, if you, if you try to put yourself in a mindset back in the eighties as a parent, if you try to trans, like if you try to take yourself back in time, we're parents now. So we can, we can put ourselves in that parental mentality. Yeah rather easily nowadays when you're a kid obviously you cannot you know every, your parents are the gatekeepers of everything you know like the, the gate exactly gate, anything that's cool and dangerous and fun they're the gatekeeper there's a wall between you and that thing and your parents for that wall uh but but yeah weird out was he was very culturally relevant all throughout the 80s and the 90s well and, and he was he was always gonna he, like there was that buffer with his music where like because he knew his audience and he uh, and I think because he knew he did uh cater to kids mm-hmm. I th- I mean I, I feel like he was always really conscientious of that in so much that like the songs that he was parodying I mean like we like like a virgin and uh, you know ba- yeah even not necessarily the same like bad but some of some of the subject material in some of the songs that in the 80s especially still would have like been like oh it's not like you know in the eighties you didn't have you weren't there weren't uh, parental advisories on albums and they were just it was just cursing but it's like people yeah. had kind of a different standard. This is where before like, oh. then, yeah. Yeah, this, this is, is like before, oh. this is pre two live crew when it was yeah know, the, cool. The people it were was just cool like, to get that black sticker on your album, you know. Yeah, certain subject material was just like oh this isn't for kids, but like that was the thing about Weird Al's like you could get it was like you were getting that. It, it was like that uh, that neutered version or like, okay, I can mm-hmm. listen to this song and it's the same tune and it's similar words as the song yeah. that is popular and is cool. It's just this one's okay because it's taking whatever the taboo is 
and it's making it less abrasive. Chris Rock is in the news for something else totally different right now. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think back to his one of one of my favorite bits of his in his stand up days is when he was talking about the Little John song, uh, Get Low. And he was like with songs like he, well, he was talking about like a lot of these these songs would su like subjectify women. But women would dance to these songs because you know, A, the beat was right, and B, he wasn't talking about me. You know, yeah. so like they could get into the song. And the exactly. song is a lot of times like you just love the song. Like the song is catchy as hell. And the the lyrics are really incidental, sort of doesn't even matter. Like a lot of times, like if you sit and study the lyrics, you're like, oh God, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. And yeah. you know, in, in later in later years they did subjectify women and all that stuff. And this is really pre-even a lot of those things. But Weird Al was sort of like that kid's bop version of entertainment. You know, like, yeah, I never really have heard him address that, that his material is family friendly. And he probably has. But a lot of the times when he's on talk shows, he gets asked the same questions like, you know, what artists like your parodies and which which artists didn't, you know, want to give you permission to do their songs and which artists love the parodies. And, you know, what I mean, like he gets a lot of those same types of interview, interviews and I scoured youtube looking for a lot of different clips of weird al on these and like I, i've listened to him on conan i've listened to him on howard stern i've listened to him on rich eisen and he gets asked a lot of the same questions and he answers them basically the same way um and is that you know like he he goes out he tries to get the permission from the artist because he doesn't want any bad will uh and i think there was and there was it became law there, there was um what is it? A fair use kind of act that became law. Like yeah. you, you, you can do parodies legally. Now I think he has to, he does have to pay royalties for certain things. Like I know like his polka versions of songs, like he'll, you know, he'll do like a polka version, like a mix of popular songs. Like, yeah. Hey, I didn't make songs of these out, these, you know, ver particular songs. Like I didn't make parody versions of these songs, but I know they're enjoyable songs. I'll just do like a polka mega remix and like he'll he'll jam like 10 popular songs polka like polka version uh, of of those songs and they're really enjoyable but i think he has to pay royalties on those but but the actual parodies themselves like he doesn't have to pay because you know like he's protected but he's always tried to get the permissions of the artist and i think most of the time he was successful in doing so and there's really only a handful where he was not able to get permission some pretty pretty famous ones we can talk about them right now actually um Coolio, <laughs> you'd already Coolio. mentioned Gangster's Paradise. Coolio kind of stands at the top. He he did not want uh, Weird Al doing uh, Amish Paradise. Like, well, the st I think the story goes that like Weird Al thought he had permission, and he went ahead with it. But Coolio, maybe, maybe after maybe mulling it over, decided he didn't like the idea. But the song was already out there and hugely popular. And years later, he's come out and has been like. I think, in fact, let's see. I made I made a note of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, where'd you go? I, it, it was I, like in the like two thousands or something. He's like, you know what? I was just being stupid. You know, like I should have rolled with it because when Weird Al does a parody of your song, it becomes more successful. Your song becomes more successful, like the Ride and Dirty song. You know, yeah, that song went on. I think to win a Grammy and sold a ton. And it wasn't just because of Weird Al. Like, the song was awesome. Like, Weird Al finds you, if the, the song has to be doing really good for him to even consider doing a parody version. But I know his sales went up more when that Weird Al, the white and nerdy version oh, yeah. came out. 
the sales went up again for his, the actual song. And I can't even think of the artist's name anymore. Like it's like champagne or something. I don't know. Whatever. People oh, listening, it's like, oh my god, oh, you really are chameleonaire. Oh chameleonaire. There you go. <laughs> Just as dumb, really, if you think about it. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, he he. People will remember White and Nerdy probably long after, you know, Riding Dirty. You know, like I I would say a lot of people will remember that song over the Riding Dirty song. <laughs> Well, that, that, but, like that, that's the, that's the thing. And I think what works well to a lot of, um, a lot of recording artists, uh, to their chagrin is the fact that, you know, his, his audience is in, in a lot of ways, very atypical of where these mainstream are. Cause you have the, you have chameleonaire. And you think, I mean, like, there's definitely going to be some overlap, people that listen to Weird Al and people that would listen to Chameleonaire or just, mm-hmm. you know, popular music in general. Yeah. But like, well, a lot I, of Chameleonaire's I, friends or fans were probably Weird Al fans as kids. Yeah. And have a, a but, fondness and familiarity of Weird Al already. You you would get, because I, I remember, especially with that song, um, I had, like, I think it was, uh, oh, I forget who, there was some uh, somebody uh, that... Uh, the, I, I remember when when uh, White and Nerdy came out. Um, it was a, it was a lady I knew. She she had heard that song, or like it, that the White and Nerdy version came across her. That was in two thousand six, by the way, straight out of Linwood, which is where Weird Al yes. from. Yes, and so White that and Nerdy moved, that song White and Nerdy peaked at six on the Billboard charts. Six. <laughs> wow, like, it's his most popular song ever. All the way that's, up to six. I'm like, that's crazy. Insane that like a parody version of a song, you know what I mean? But anyway, sorry, please finish your thought. Well, the when when white and nerdy, because like that's the thing is like if you you listen to white and nerdy and you're like, oh, that's because if especially because he is actually, I mean, he's a really skilled lyricist. Yeah. Um, because like he you know, you have you have somebody writes a song and they write the song about whatever they're whatever's relevant to them. You have riding dirty. It's like okay, um, the whole thing makes sense from their perspective, from Chameleonaire's perspective. It's like okay, he this this is very personal. It's like white and nerdy. It's still the same. It's, it's still a very personal uh, source material for Weird Al. But mm-hmm. it's like you you now have very different parameters because the muse everything's already made. You have to work within this framework. Yeah. So he has to make a theme work within any, I mean, it's not like it's impossible. I mean, he's done it for decades now. It's what's funny is he's outlived so many of the people that he's parodied. Like even oh, now yeah. it's like people, I mean, like people, I mean, I don't If you ask kids today, if they knew who Coolio was, uh, they may or may not know, but I would, I my, would venture my to guess. My kids would not know who Coolio is. Yeah. There's it's no like, way. I would venture no to guess you would have more people that would be able to recognize Amish Paradise than Yankee. And Coolio Paradise. was the biggest thing in the world for like yeah. five years. I love Coolio. I had his albums. Like, I thought he was awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. And it really surprises me because he seems, if you watch his videos, I mean, I, I, I know he was from one end of it, from one part, he was coming at from this sort of gangster side of things, but he also seemed to have a good sense of humor in his videos especially like fantastic voyage and stuff. Like there just seemed to be a good yeah. sense of humor behind his stuff. And to see 
And to learn that he resisted the Weird Al phenomenon really kind of boggled my mind. But I am happy to see that he did come around to it. Like, hey, I, I was afraid of the way he was going to make me look. You know, I was trying I was trying to survive in a gangster rap world. And I couldn't do that if Weird Al was riding my, my you know, coattails along the way. I just couldn't do that. Yeah. Same reason Eminem wouldn't let him parody his songs. Like, he wanted to do a version of Eminem, but Eminem said, no, thank you, you know. But I'm sure he was kind enough about it. And Eminem seems like the kind of dude who would have a good sense of humor, too. I mean, if you've seen the interview, the Seth Rogen movie, you're like, okay, there's a guy who seems to have a real good sense of humor and and is, can tease, like, make fun of himself. And his videos always had a good sense of humor. So, like, that's another one that surprises me a little bit. Not really, but a little bit, you know. <laughs> like, why yeah. would Eminem be on board with this? Yeah, because uh, he did, um, and I think it may have been on the, it was probably on the album before Straight Outta Linwood when he did the All About the Pentiums, which mm-hmm. was the uh, P. Diddy. The P. Yeah. Did, I don't remember if he was still Puff Daddy or if he was Sean. No, I, I can't keep track P. of all the names. I don't, I don't know what name he was going by. I think he was, he was P. Time. Diddy at the time, I think. <laughs> but it was uh, like, you know, that was, that was at kind of the height of his of his success i mean like it really was he, I mean, yeah and so it was like to do all about the benjamins because and i think that's i think that's what a lot of people realized especially the people that were really in it for the business because like you, you get that sense like some people who are like oh, i'm in it for the music like uh and not that coolio Back, yeah like some artists are just totally in it for the like they're just shy of mainstream, but they're popular. Yeah. But they, they, they could have been bigger, but they didn't sell out completely. Like, that term sell out really bugs me a lot of times. Like, why would you yeah. not want to sell out? Selling out like is just like in, reaping the benefits of your talent. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, you're there's in the a business world. Your job <laughs> is you want to succeed. You want to make money. You like, want to sell albums? No. I get the I get the idea behind selling out like oh like yeah. you have no principles no there's there's nothing you is like I'll right. stamp my name right, on it I'll, right. I'll sell it I don't care it's yeah. like I get that you want to have some modicum of integrity in sure. what your brand is but at the same time it's like okay if you let Weird Al parody one of your songs you're really selling out no, no. not at all it's like I that's think just- most I'd say like ninety five percent of the artists were very flattered by him coming to them and and he's he seems like a really old-fashioned guy like he would just really try to approach like i know he would he had a he had a process like here i want to play like a little short clip from the rich eisen rich eisen show where he talks about the process just a little bit we can just kind of listen in just from uh, like maybe a minute okay I'll, I'll stop it i won't let it play long but we'll just kind of go over just for a moment uh which musician that you sent up in song was the most uh appreciative and which one was maybe the least well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that anybody was not appreciative because okay, I, I did get good. their permission ahead of time. It's not like it's a big surprise when I'm doing the parody. You got Michael Jackson's permission. Oh, absolutely, ahead of time? yeah. How I, did you do that? Well, you know, I, I didn't know Michael Jackson, but you, know, you contact him the way that you do. I went through my manager, and he contacted a, a, a Michael Jackson manager or a publicist or answer. I, I don't know how it worked exactly, but it right. got to Michael, uh, and he signed off on it, and uh, he had actually had a great sense of humor about it. And there is, in fact, a contract uh, that Michael Jackson signed that, that says that, that he is the co-writer of Eat It. <laughs> <laughs> he co-signed. Yeah. So did somebody have to play, hey, Michael, sit down. There's a guy named Weird Al Yankovic, and he's come up with a song called Eat It. 
and somebody pressed play for him and he sat there and listened to well, it? Well, I, I, I didn't record it before. I, I probably, I don't even know if I'd written, I probably had written the lyrics at that point. Okay. But no, we, we don't record it unless we have permission because uh, otherwise it's a lot of uh, effort and money wasted. Okay. And that's the way you actually got permission through my, did you ever meet Michael? Did you ever I did a first? couple times and, and he was he was great. I mean, uh, one time I actually uh, gave him a, a gold album because my album, Even Worse, which was based on his <laughs> album Bad. <laughs> that's a great name. It, it went gold, so I, I gave him a, a gold album for that. And uh -huh. uh, he was very gracious. He was like, oh, another gold album for the pile. I'll just th throw this over here. Yeah, so like there's all kinds of interviews of Weird Al. I love watching Weird Al in, in interviews because many times you don't get to really just see him as the dude. You know, he's just the guy behind the guy, seemingly yeah. riding off the success of other talented artists. But he seems to me like just such a joyous person and a good man. You know, like we, we have conversations a lot of times and our show is not political, but like, well, you know, like you'll, you'll mention guys like Ryan Reynolds and, you know, just people who just seem like really good people who do uh, charitable acts without anyone watching and it just seemed to be nice people. And Weird Al to me seems like one of those people is just genuinely like a really nice person. Like it would break my heart. You know, they always say like never meet your heroes because it yeah. breaks your heart, that kind of thing. He seems like one of those guys that would be really gracious and super nice to talk to. And, you know, not not to say like we could get him, but like we might be able to get him, you know. <laughs> he we could, could possibly he could get Weird Al for a minute or two. That um, might, but, it might not, like... We're, we're nothing special, but at the same time, no. like, he, he, he could come down from his Weird Al, you know, ivory <laughs> tower and no, and, exactly. And, and be able to, like, he, because I think that's one of the things that is really nice about him is, you know, like, he, clearly we can say it's like, okay, the guy, like, this movie may not have done well, but like, he, I mean, he really, he's been, he's been a cultural icon and a staple in, in, yeah popular music popular tv popular everything for decades now so clearly he has achieved a significant amount of success even if it's few niche. artists that like like a madonna who reinvented their self and i don't want to say he reinvented himself but he rolled with the medium you know he had, like he's he became adapted. very popular on radio with the dr yeah. demento show like dr demento was this radio program that i remember it would come on sundays uh forget which you know, it was a syndicated show and I was a fan of it. I liked it because as a little kid, you know, it was just like farts and goofy little songs and whatever. And I was already well aware of who Weird Al was when I started listening to Dr. Demento. But he took a shine to Weird Al and he, he's even in UHF for like a very brief second. It, yes. it, this, the scene where like Stanley is doing the, uh, you know, Stanley's clubhouse and he's like, he's doing shots of whipped cream and like the audience's mouth He's one yes. of the guys. He's like that goofy guy in the beard, kind of like a Steve Wozniak looking guy. He he's shooting, shooting a, a whipped cream into his mouth, and, uh, but but he 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 came up in the sort of request line era of radio, and then he was one of the first people to really grab onto MTV in the in the eighties. He, uh, he, you know, he talked about Michael Jackson and then the relationship, the professional relationship that he had with him, which was really. A pretty big one. I mean, Michael Jackson was the biggest star in the world and, you know, in the early 80s, mid 80s, going into the late 80s. Yeah, I would say even into the late 80s, early 90s, things got a little rocky for Michael. But during the heyday of Michael, he was agreeing to a lot of his parody requests and eat it. I know eat it was like the first time I had ever seen or heard of Weird Al. And you look at Weird Al and he had that. First of all, he had just such a great look. 
you know he had like the curly hair the curly haired mop yeah very distinct very distinct he had like the glasses and that mustache and like the like the red hawaiian shirt yeah but and he's like such a nerd he's such a nerd like he would have I think he earned his nickname Weird Al like in school, and it was a hurtful moniker that he wore at first. But then he sort of ad- adopted it because it, he, you know, sometimes like it's better to just like, oh hey, I'm known. At least I'm known. You know, like I may be known as Weird Al, but at least people know who I am. And I could see how like a kid might slowly accept that and then run with it like he did. And uh, he he's like he adopted that look. I mean, I'm sure he didn't walk around at the grocery store wearing like you know, the shirt and everything. Maybe he did. I don't know, but I kind of doubt it. Um, but he had that great look and he's walking, he's doing the, the eat it video and he's doing these, see, they're like one for one parodies, like one for one versions of these songs and parody version. And a lot of times like he would get same actors from music videos, like the original music videos. He would get a lot of the same people because especially the more popular he got, like he was telling a great story about the Nirvana, uh, smells like Nirvana, which is oh my god, I love that video so much. Do yourself a favor if you're not, even if you're not a weird out and you just want to have a silly fun time, just go do some weird out searches of his videos. There's a ton of them, and you've probably never even seen some of them. There's some I'm sure you have, but the the smells like Nirvana was like a huge one because that was like the first big mainstream time that he tried to get Michael Jackson's permission to do a parody of a song, like he was trying to do Black or White, yeah. And Michael Jackson turned him down because he was. Michael Jackson really believed in his message. And I think Paul McCartney had a similar beef with, you know, like I want to do one of your songs, but I think it like, I don't know, like Paul McCartney said no for some reason. And it was like his personal reasons. And that was, that was that it wasn't like a coolie. Like, well, I'm afraid it's going to damage my career. No, Michael yeah. Jackson believed in the the message of black, black or white. And he said no. And that was like the first time. So that left him without like a big song to open up his album here comes Nirvana, and and I'll say I'll argue that this unlike unlucky circumstance extended Weird Al's career like another decade, really. Yeah, because being able to so expertly parody "Smells Like Teen Spirit," which was the biggest freaking thing ever, you know, in that year, like Nirvana was exploding, and like they were just hosting SNL, and he he talks to Kurt Cobain. He's like, hey, I want to I want to do a version of one of your songs. And I love that, like, Kurt Cobain, like, everything I, like, read about the guy, like, he seems like such a pretty nice guy, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I, he I seems feel like, like I had yeah. this, I, I feel like I had this precon- preconceived version of him in my head as a kid, then learning about him later. I was like, he seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> um, But the first thing I think he asked Weird Al was, is it going to be about food? Because so many of his songs are just kind of yeah. about food. Uh, Cause it's a safe thing to, 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 you know, do a song about. And he was like, no. And he's like, part of the joke's going to be like, people understand what you're saying. And, uh, and he gave him their permission. And then when he, when Kurt Cobain had seen the video or heard the song, he was like, weird. Al's a genius. He's a bona fide genius. And he, he claims that when he knew that when he saw that weird out was doing his song, that's when Nirvana arrived. It wasn't, being on SNL, it wasn't any of that shit. It was like when Weird Al did my song, I knew we had arrived as we yeah. were like a huge thing. And it really was like that was the big thing. And being not parroting Michael Jackson, who was really on the cusp of like some bad times uh, or just around the corner, uh, latching his thing onto Nirvana was like a huge thing. And it's not like he continued to do Nirvana songs, but it gave him like this sense of hipness and coolness. 
you know? It was like, oh, Nirvana. Because it changed, you know, like, because up up until that that point, I mean, he really kind of had, it was mostly the the pop stuff. I mean, he had Madonna and Michael Jackson. And so it was a lot of very pop stuff. So, like, Nirvana was, I think that was one of those times where he really kind of, you know, he adapted to the way that culture was going. And it's like, okay. Um, you know, in the nineties you had, you had the whole grunge movement and it was this whole divergence from how pop. it was the uh, anti-pop yeah, for, it, exactly. And so I was like, okay, <clears throat> it showed that he could survive in different genres. No problem. Cause, cause I think a, what a lot of people, you know, when you think about weird Al, you, you automatically gravitate probably towards, you know, a song that you're either mostly familiar with, or maybe even you're like, "Oh, this was this one was my favorite." But like yeah. when he would make these albums, they were full albums. I mean, like he wrote yeah a number of his own songs. Well, all I of think his he, albums had a handful of parodies, a handful of originals. Like the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota is one of my favorite Weird Al songs, and it's not a parody of anything. It's just a fun little song about a family road trip. You know, going to see the greatest ball of twine in Minnesota, yeah. and it's just a fun little song. And I would listen to it all the time behind closed doors, you know? Oh, I, I loved the night Santa went crazy. I mean, like I would listen to that over and over and over and over. I mean, <laughs> Did you ever listen favorites. to the one song? It's like really long. And I think it's on it. it I think it's on straight out of Linwood where he's talking about like being trapped in the drive through and there's like yes. a really crude animated video the animated. Yes. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's so good. I mean, like it is and genius. That's, <laughs> cause, cause that's the thing. And <sighs> I'm... But he took the spirit of what he was parodying and just extrapolated upon it. You know, before there were the Waynes brothers, before, you know, Keenan Ivory Waynes and like they, they made their living doing parody movies, he was already doing that shit with music and doing it so well. Well, and I think, because I, I think that's one of those things, you know, in, in, in the realm of parody, in the realm of spoof, in the realm of lampooning things, it's it's not difficult to do crappy parody. No, nope. like it's not hard to rip stuff off and 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 just do some. Michael Scott you know, does it all the time. <laughs> yeah, to, to do some subpar version of you know, just like ah, I'm going to poke fun at this, but like right. that's that's where it's like when you have things. I mean, like you know, the first ones that pop in is like when you have airplane, when you have the naked gun, when you yeah. have. It's like because you could you see everybody has seen, you know, with and especially going down the rabbit hole of the the Wayans brothers, you know, like they 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 turned out a number of really quality products. They were really like have. when you when don't you be see a, don't how, be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood is one of oh, my favorite nineties comedies. Amazing and, and like it, they were they were real pioneers in the the arm of that that they took out. But like when they you were. see how. Once people started making a copy of a copy of it, like you get to that, the fourth or fifth iteration. Yeah. Once you get to Michael like date Keaton movie and, and things like that, it's kind of like, uh, then it becomes like cheap. It's cheapened at that point. Well, you, I mean, cause and to me, it follows the same logic as in the movie multiplicity. When you get to that fourth iteration of Michael oh, Keaton good, good and you're call, like, okay, man. this is a just a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, by this point, when you get she touched to, my pee pee, Steve. She touched my pee pee. <laughs> when you get to epic movie or date movie or yeah. you know disaster movie, and I was like, from the guy that lived next to the caterer from Scary Movie Three, you're like, 
okay, these are not good. So it's not hard to make crappy parody. And that but, might also be why some of these artists who just sometimes an artist is just really disconnected from the zeitgeist and they look at like a parody and they just see like, oh, this is a copy of a copy. This is a cheap version of my heart and soul. Like I know like Jimmy Page is another guy who didn't want Weird Al parodying, you know, like Weird Al had an idea to do it like a polka version of a lot of Led Zeppelin songs. And he, he said, yeah. no, no, thank you. Uh, Prince is another guy who was like, no, thank you. But these are guys who like who. As great as they are, you could see them kind of um, getting tied up in their own feelings about their own material or whatever, you know. But, it, but Weird to, Al seemed to be like above that, you know, like yeah, yeah. On the surface, his songs are goofy and stupid, but there's an artistry to his songs as well. And I there's think there's a framework think to how he constructs a song, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the longer that he made it. Um, the more credit, I mean, like to, to your point with the Nirvana, it's like, okay, this clearly shows moving into this next, you know, this next iteration of music of a popular kinds of music. Yeah. It's like, there's not, I mean, cause especially, I mean, you go white nerdy, it's like, okay, that's, I mean, that's rap, you know, you got like to, to, to think that the, this son of a polka artist is now <laughs> successfully copying, you know, yeah. pop songs and rock songs and rap songs. Like, there's not a genre. He could that play he that can't. accordion like a bat out of hell, too, man. He's yeah, a really I, like, good accordion player. He, there's, that I mean, is there's, not a novelty. Like, he is good. You have to acknowledge that the man has musical and lyrical talent and ability. Right. Right. That is not just a flash in the pan. It's not just like, oh, okay, he wrote a funny song and it, yeah, ha, ha, ha. It's like, no, there are plenty of people that have written, you know, you write a, a parody song or a funny song or a goofy song. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, I remember that one. Or, you know, because, and especially, <clears throat> I mean, I, I remember growing up, I had, I had different tapes of, you know, of goofy, silly songs that, yeah. you know, pe- they, I wouldn't call them mainstream artists, but like they were, you know, like you, you'd hear them in, in different forums. Like know, they play might them on be the radio. giants, like those kinds of guys, like those, those were like that sort of nerdy kind of, they, yeah. they were popular, but in a nerdy way only. Yeah. <laughs> and so you'd, you'd have those, but like they, they weren't people that were long lasting. You'd, you'd have guys that would make, oh, let's make a funny song. Oh, let's, I mean, I think, I mean, even country music, I mean, there were artists that came along, they're like, oh, I'm going to make a funny country song. But it was like Weird Al became kind of, he was the gold standard. Yeah, he and I don't know if the like, song exists, but if he didn't do a song called Achy Breaky Fart, then that's a Michael Scott song. That's where that comes from. <laughs> and I was like, Achy Breaky Fart is in my head for some reason, and it's because it was a Michael Scott parody. I don't think Weird Al had anything to do with that, but he could have. He could have. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of farts, like I'm gonna play a clip of like one of the earliest Weird Al songs that I heard and like laughed so hard. And I, I when you hear the, the first bits of this song, you're gonna understand maybe why some of these artists like a prince may say, No, I I'm I I'm aware of who you are, Weird Al, but no thank you. Yeah, that's I love Rocky Road, but it's just like fart sounds, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I love that video too, because like 
you hear in that farty, but it, it's it sounds a lot like that sound you would make with your hands, you know. Oh, totally. But as the as the video progresses, like he walks through like the door because uh, it's I Love Rocky Road, so he goes to an ice cream parlor, and there's like here's a dude in a beard, and he's doing the like hand farty sound, you know, <laughs> or yes. the motion. But that that's the kind of goofiness that he was known for. Like it, it's really hard to take seriously, but again, Deacon take his art for what it is. He he takes a song deconstructs it, finds silly lyrics, reconstructs it in his personal Weird Al way with accordions and little fart sounds, and it makes it work. It makes you want to jam out I Love Rocky Road. It really does. I dare you not to like listen to that and not tap your foot just a little bit. Well, and, and even even within the movie itself, even within UHF, when yeah. he does the uh, uh, Beverly Hillbillies, the... Uh, the mm-hmm. The takeoff on the Dire Straits song. Oh my gosh, you know. that Dire Straits song was one of my favorite songs growing up, and I love that the I forget the the I, I don't know the names of the band members by heart like I do some other bands, but the guitarist who does that famous like lick, you know, like that yeah from the Money for Nothing, he insisted on playing the actual rock track version like of that song. Like he's like, yeah, you can do our song, but I want to be in the song. Like I want to play yeah. it, and I thought that was really freaking awesome. <laughs> how many times like did artists be like yeah you can do my song can i be in it not only like can i be in it but like you have to let me be in it or you can't do my song well and and, and i i love i love that they got you know the the animation and because oh, it was it's so one of those good. like it was one of those i mean especially at the height of music videos oh that, that was, a, was that was a top 10 all-time great classics right there yeah i was like it's i mean it's such an iconic music video and to have that connection in uhf yeah, I mean, because it's when I was like, "There's, there's a lot about the movie that is, you know, him stringing together his own parodies in a in a way that just works." Yeah, it's and like, it's not much of a movie if we're gonna circle back around to just like talking about the movie. Like, can I can I go a little bit more housekeeping? Like, we're well, yes. we're way past our normal housekeeping, but um, it it has a Rotten Tomato score of sixty one percent, which is I was a little surprised. I expected it to be much lower, to be honest. Seventy seven percent audience score. Uh, Roger Ebert, what <laughs> the great the great great Roger Ebert, film critic extraordinaire. Love him or hate him, we do a lot of hating, but you got to yeah. mention him because you know in our childhood he was the in he was like the voice. You know, he was he was one of the he was one of the names. It was him he was and, one of the names. Cisco Ebert. Can you guess? Can you guess what rating he gave this movie? Uh, I feel like he wouldn't have liked this at all. I feel like he would have given it maybe one star. You're correct, one star. Uh, just to, just a pull quote from his from his uh, from his old website. As movie ideas go, this isn't a bad one. But Yankovic is so happy to have a laugh, any laugh, that he forgets that discipline is a key element in a comedy. So he he's just he doesn't he didn't think the movie was just very good i guess in a nutshell i think he was a lot of i read the whole you know uh review and most of it was like hey i know that this movie has fans i understand that a lot of people are going to be attracted to this movie but i'm looking at this as a non-weird out fan like this is just not a very good movie yeah <laughs> and i think even weird out would he admits in the you know because i listened to the commentary track for the movie he's like you know what in hindsight we probably should have spent a minute or two longer trying to put together a plot for this movie but all we really like the idea is there is like, Hey, how can we find a way to just string together a bunch of silly, uh, vignettes 
And I think for what they did, they it works just fine, you know, really. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, because that's absolutely what it is. I mean, he has all these little, you know, uh, these these little ideas, and he was able to, I mean, because the the plot of the movie, you could boil down to a, an episode. Well, here, uh, before, a, before you get started into the plot of the movie, let me tell you, let me, let me just go over who's in it. And then I'm going to yeah. put you on the spot. I'm going to have you give us your summation of what the movie is about. Okay. Uh, so it. it's, it's, it's starring Weird Al. And I wanted to just talk a ton about Weird Al before we get anywhere. Uh, by the way, received his walk. Uh, uh, he, he was received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2018. Congratulations, Weird Al. Long overdue. Long overdue. I remember reading that news somewhat recently and being surprised. I was happy and elated that he got one, but it seems like they just As give those away to anybody. And it was like, As, he should have had one two decades prior to that. Yeah, as many people now. that already do. Because, <laughs> I, I like, that was, I, I think, I don't remember when it was that I found out. Is that that always seemed like, oh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, in my mind, was always like this very prestigious stretch of yeah. uh, of space. But I, like, I've come to understand, I was like, oh, no, it's just like regular sidewalk through, like, crappy yeah. neighborhoods. Like, you'd be walking, yeah. and like, oh, here's, like, an old, you know, radio shack. It does get, like, a big glitzy like, kind of show. Like, you know, Kevin, didn't Kevin Smith, he got his star somewhere. Yeah. No, no, did he not get it? Does Kevin Smith have a star? I'm not sure now. He was involved, at the very least, of, of being a part of somebody else's. It was Maybe it was Ben Affleck who, I don't know. I can't remember now, but you're right. You're right. It, it's like a regular sidewalk that people can walk. It's it's not guarded or anything, I don't think. And, you know, there will be a ceremony, and they'll, friends and family and members of the prestige press, and, like, they do show up and, and cover the event, but then, like, you can just go walk on it. Um, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. What you were going to say about the Walk of Fame? Oh no! Yeah, that that was just like you know, for for him, twenty eighteen does seem like a little late in the game. Yeah, not, not that he's not still relevant, but it's like okay, the height of his career was, I mean, not like he's pinnacled and now he's, he's not relevant anymore. But it's like he's yeah. he could have gotten uh, one in nineteen eighty nine. Really, I mean, for this like movie, his, <laughs> his success. I mean, it was far more, you know, regular back in the eighties and nineties. Right. Oh, every other couple of years he was in. He was back. He was back. Um, also, I just wanted to note that uh, <clears throat> there there are many very very relevant big stars of today who attribute a lot of their success, or at least cite Weird Al as one of their major influences. Andy Samberg, of course, of of uh, Logan yeah. Island, SNL, big Weird Al fan, uh, and another one that surprises me a little bit, but maybe not really. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, huge Weird Al fan. Uh, Okay, and 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 he cites Weird Al as like one of his big influences growing up. Uh, but anyways, but, but as far as like stars of the movie go, wanted to give Weird Al his propers because we'll never ever talk about Weird Al again. He's never made another movie. Yeah, <laughs> so we might as well just get all of our Weird Al in, as we do in some of our episodes. You're like, oh, okay, we're gonna talk about this movie. We might as well talk about the star a lot because we don't know if we're ever going to get back around to talking about this person again. We're for sure never going to talk about Weird Al again unless we talk about Spy Hard and what she did a song for. I don't know if we're going to get there. We might. Maybe we episode could. 350 it, or it, something. It could happen. You never know. Maybe. We could do a Leslie Nelson tribute episode someday. You never yeah. know. Uh, but uh, David David Bowe, who played Bob, um, his career, you know, I, I'm looking at his IMDb career and he he has credits. It says he was in Back to the Beach from mid-80s, you know, that uh, Annette Fruticello, you yes. know, comedy that also had Pee Wee Herman in it. 
uh, Freaked. I recognize that that was a uh, uh, Alex Winter movie from from the early nineties. Um, heavyweights. I don't remember like he was at heavyweights. I've seen that movie a ton of times. I don't. Remember. He, I think he might have played one of the parents. He no, he was the camp counselor from the uh, sports camp. Oh, okay, he was the okay. jerky counselor from the camp. Oh, really? The okay, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, cable guy. He was in Cable Guy. I, I can't remember what what scene he was in, but he was in Cable Guy. For the the late nineties, um, uh, uh, Jim oh Carrey, Jim Carrey, thank you, <laughs> Drillbit Taylor, a a very middle of the road comedy, uh, you know. But I, I remember being it, because it had the people who were involved with making it were big. That movie itself wasn't great, but he was in that. Uh, do can you think of anything else big that he was in? David Bow, I loved him. Uh, in he this. was, in he was a and great. Oh, he was in Kicking and Screaming. Okay, now that's a comedy that I don't have a lot of history with. Like I've seen it, but I don't. I haven't seen it a bunch of times. So he was in that too. All right, cool, cool. Uh, so you know, a lengthy career, if not gigantic, but a lengthy one. Uh, played Bob, who was his, um, you know, sidekick. I guess you say in the movie. Kevin McCarthy. I love this guy. He's like a classic '80s villain. Oh yeah. <laughs> played R. R. J. Fletcher. A UHF station. I love him in this movie. He's and I love it in the like. Um, the uh, do- the commentary track. I love hearing about these guys who have a history and a reputation of being sort of heels or bad guys in movies, being like the sweetest, nicest people in the world in real life. Apparently, he's like one of those guys. I can't imagine him being a nice person. Like he just has that face, yeah. that sour face. But apparently, he's a really funny guy and he's a really infectious laugh. I remember him from Inner Space. That's about all I can remember him from. I uh, remember but- him from uh, the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, 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 from the 80s? The 80s. Okay, yeah. okay, he was in that. What, what what part of the movie was he in? Which which it, of the three? It was the story where the, the kid had all the powers. He was one of the family members. Oh, okay, yeah, the that, oh, that was a wild one. Yeah, that was the third of the three, I think. Yeah. Okay, I, I can kind of picture that. He was in Evasia the Body Snatchers, both the 50s and 70s version. He was in both of those movies. Uh, Stanley uh, uh, Stadowski, uh, obviously he's uh, Michael Richards. <laughs> Big, yes. you know, who heard of that guy? I mean, you know, obviously, um, friend, uh, not friends, but Seinfeld, huge, huge Seinfeld star. But before that, I even knew who he was. Like I, you could place him. No, no, this was this would have been after that. Problem Child is the other big movie that I remember oh, early yeah. in his career. He he played like the. Uh, the person who was in prison that junior would write to the junior he was like, writing to. Yeah. The yeah. Bowtie killer. <laughs> the bowtie killer. Exactly. So Michael Richards has this like crazy fun energy in this movie. It's I like him as much as, as, as Kramer in, in, in any Seinfeld episode, he's having a lot of fun in this movie. It seems like um, that was, that and, was one of the things with Michael Richards. That was just that it was funny to me to really kind of, cause I hadn't ever taken the time to stop and think about it. But like this movie came out, and then I want to say it was like two months later is when Seinfeld yeah, started. Very close together. Yeah, the pilot of Seinfeld was eighty nine. So you're right. They yeah. were very close together. Um, but he was still very gettable. You know what I mean? Like he was obtainable because yeah. he was not yet Kramer. Um, Victoria Jackson is in this. She she's an SNL alum. You you know her if you see her. She she plays Terry. Um, Getty Watanabe, who plays Cooney. And really, he mm-hmm. his only other major credit is 
like one he might want to regret like he may regret playing i don't know like <laughs> you know the the asian stereotype basically from 16 candles long duck dong long duck dong <laughs> and i no more yankee my winky <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing in that movie like he's oh, really he's funny he's so good <laughs> him him and, the, and his girlfriend like they they're the best <laughs> they're the best I really enjoyed them in that movie, and I hadn't seen 16 Candles in a long time, and I think we were doing a What You Haven't Seen That, and I, it kind of forced me to rewatch it. And I was like, Danny Watanabe's really funny in this. Like, I know he's sort oh, of he playing is. that stereotype, but at least he really is Asian, you know? I mean, it wasn't like oh, a yeah. white guy playing Asian, like, um, what's-his-face from uh, uh, Mickey, Breakfast Mickey Tiffany's. Rooney? Mickey Rooney, yeah, with the for big fake false teeth. That's yeah. far more. That's far more problematic more, than Getty Watanabe. Very much so. <laughs> but Getty Watanabe's in this. He plays multiple characters. But Wheel of Fish. Here, I gotta play. I gotta play a clip if you'll allow me. Oh yeah, a red snapper. Mmm, very tasty. Okay, Weaver. Listen carefully. You can hold on to your red snapper. Oh, you can go for what's in the box that Hiro-san is bringing down the aisle right now! What's it gonna be? (laughs) I'll take the box! The box! You took the box! Let's see what's in the box! Nothing! Absolutely nothing! <laughs> stupid! You're so stupid! <laughs> I love that so much. That, of course, is Wheel of Fish, which was one of the parodied uh, segments of the movie. Of course, Wheel of Fortune. I love that bit because, like, they, they got, like, real fish, like, strapped onto a giant wheel. Yeah. And they were like, man, it smells so bad. <laughs> Like filming that scene. And, you know, Getty is just so into it. Like he he he's so fun in this movie. Like stupid, so stupid is like one of those quotes as a kid that we would just say about so many things. And, you know, he's in a multi he he plays like a karate instructor, like who lives above George's apartment, I guess, early in the movie. And the stupid <laughs> so he's stupid. Flying out the window. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like teaching them like kung fu. They're like or whatever karate and just like flying through with glass plates and like punching through drywall. Like what time is it? Punch through the wall like seven thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear Getty in the background like stop it. I love him so much. Uh, Fran Drescher is in this thing, of yes. course. Uh, I mean the nanny, one of the bigger. The sick- I-, I was not a big the nanny <clears throat> fan in the nineties. It, it was a CBS comedy, and I just was not into CBS sitcoms at the time. But she's hilarious. I do love Fran Drescher, and despite her distinctive, like, the, her, nasally her voice. Tone, her nasally voice, thank you. It's like trying to find a way to describe it. It's just very nasally. But, I mean, she was, like, in a lot of stuff even before this came. Like, I think she was in, um, but she, she was in one, like, the early John Travolta, like, Staying Alive movies or Saturday Night Fever. I think she was in that. Uh, she she was somebody who was in things, you know, before the nanny. Yeah. Um, but and, and she's great. She's awesome in it. Pamela Finkelstein. Uh, and the last the last person I have noted, although there's lots of other people, is um, uh, David Provel, who plays Head Thug. 
But I mean, he's Richie Aprile from The Sopranos, and as someone who just say, recently I, went, <laughs> I know you just got Richie. that move in the, the Sopranos. Yeah. I was like, okay, Richie, you, you got It's Richie Aprile. Richie Aprile, yeah. He he was only in like one uh, season of The Sopranos, but he was so big in that series. And I, I, you know, he he was he. You know, I think I might have mentioned to you. I was watching the Rodney Dangerfield comedy Easy Money, and I was lamenting. I was like, why wasn't Rodney Dangerfield a bigger star? Because yeah. like, everything that he put out in the eighties was a huge thing. But like you look at his IMD, IMDb credits and like he, they would only put him in a movie like every four years, even at the height of his popularity. I'm like, why would he not have multiple movies coming out in the same year? Yeah. And, but he, he had a cameo in that. Um, by the way, uh, Joe Pesci was in that too, which was really, really fun oh, to have. Very him. nice. I love, I love Joe Pesci in a comedy. We're, we're going to do my cousin Vinny one of these days. I swear to God, that's a threat and a promise. Uh, but he, he was in it. He played head thug. With getting the staples of a bit where like, you know, Michael Richards is trying to escape and they had that whole like chase scene in the in the where they All were holding the, him the newsroom. Yeah, in the newsroom. And he's like he's like doing the staple everything. gun. <laughs> and he's got all those like staples stuck in his face. Such a great oh, bit. Yeah. But he he was he was wonderful in that. I really enjoyed him. He's he's never looked any different in his whole life. No. Trouble has looked I think he, he was been born a forty five year like old mop. I think so, yeah. Pretty much. So those are like the main guys. There's a lot of, you know, other people that you could uh, mention. Do you, do you have a, a actor that you would like to to mention before we get to your uh, uh, assessment of this plot of this movie? <laughs> uh, the <clears throat> I love that Emo Phillips is in this. Oh yeah, uh, he's yeah, in he it played for, the, I don't know, uh, all twelve seconds. The carpenter guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he gets his finger cut off. Uh, and I was glad that they they included in the trivia that one of his his prized possession was his uh, Screen Actors Guild check for thirty cents that he wow. got for doing this movie. Wow! And because what else was Emo Phillips known? Because he was one of those guys that was just no. You hear his name and you're like, oh, like Jim J. Bullock. Like he just had a name that you he was recognize. he was a stand up. I mean, he was a stand up. Okay. I mean, I, I remember him from uh, Doctor Katz, professional therapy, professional therapist, and then just his yeah. stand up. Because he had, he was just such a, uh, I mean, his voice and every everything he did was just so unique. Yeah, um, he did. Because he, I mean, voice. he's got some, he's got some pretty decent stand-up, But like Mr. that was my point. Butter of reference. fingers. That bit yeah, is disgusting. And, like it'll turn your stomach. That with all the <laughs> blood, and there's a there's more, like several minutes of deleted scenes of that part of the movie that yes. you can watch from the. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of stuff. Oh, but yeah. Like, no, yeah there, Weird Al was like, there's like hours of deleted footage. You know, like when they cut it down to 97 minutes, they cut a shitload of things. They cut out. a ton and, out. <laughs> and he was like, I'll be honest, a lot of it, you, you're happy that it was cut out because it was pointless. But there is a lot more of that emo Phillips bloody, like where he's picking up his thumb and showing it off. And it was like, oh, God. So gross. But you got the fat guy reacting to that. The the one, yeah. the cameraman who was in, who made it in one of Weird Al's videos, the fat. Which I yes. think is my favorite Weird Al video. You were, you were mentioning earlier, like everybody seems to have that video that they go to in their head. Yes. When you hear Weird Al, Fat's probably it for me. I think Fat was probably the one for me too. Like I, that yeah. may have been the first one that I actually saw. It was so good. It was so good. Because I, I love the song. From a bad place of loving too. Michael Jackson, the song was great. The video was phenomenal. Because I mean, yes, the, it, they all, did it makes such me a laugh. Good job. Like, yo, man, ding dong, man, ding dong, yo, yo. <laughs> And he's all thin, and they're trying to like peer pressure him into eating. Into eating, yeah. 
You ain't so fat. Good. You ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. I love that over overacting Weird Al voice that he does. Oh, because oh, that was that's one of the, that's one of the things that I think. You know, like, because as I was watching it, I was like, I feel like that's probably one of the things that held him back the most. Like he couldn't undo it because then he wouldn't be Weird Al. Yeah, but it was He's just like a bad that was, actor. He's as I was watching, actor. it was like it, everything, every scene that he was in where he was trying to make where he was trying to apply his comedy, it was yeah. always just so over the top. Yeah. And I'm, that's where Roger Ebert is coming from. You can, yeah. He has a point. He has a point. Yes. But, but as you said, to your point, he wouldn't be Weird Al if he wasn't doing those things. Yeah. If he, if, if he toned it down, you would lose the Weird Al. Like, it's just, there is no happy medium where it's like, if you gave just, if you gave 98%, it's like, no, then you lose the Weird Al-ness of it. And it's like, because there are scenes where it's like where he's just kind of like moping oh, around, mess. or it's like when he's <laughs> when he's just kind of like oh ho hum, and it's like yeah, oh, but you just kind of you kind of lose the momentum there. It's like he's got to be that over the top ah, screaming kind of yeah, you know, and a piece of cartoon and it just character. works. Oh god! So th- those are the that's the cast for for the large part. Um, let's let's hear break down the story of, of UHF for me if you wouldn't mind. In a minute or less, oh, minute or less. Oh, so I mean, he he's he's he. I mean, it's 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 not an uh, untold story. He's a loser. Mm-hmm. He's a lovable um, loser. Yeah, he's a lovable loser that just can't can't seem to get things going. Finally catches a break in because he's he's got all this creativity pent up. He finally <laughs> catches enough. a break when when his <laughs> his uncle hands him the this uh, this crappy rundown uhf yeah, station uncle harvey yeah uncle harvey yep. he, he wins the title to a station in a hand of poker in a hand not of unlike poker. As, lando calrissian did in and yeah. uh or, or, Luke, or han solo did in and for the millennium falcon same thing those are the two those are the two prizes in a high hand stake of poker that people everyone thinks about the deed a, a to the really UHF cool station spaceship in the millennium falcon. crappy yeah. tv station <laughs> right and it's what's fu- what's funny too is like thinking about it is like I, I I didn't watch this one with the kids. Um, I, at some point I'm sure I will, but I just watched yeah. it one. I didn't either. I didn't either. I, I I there's there's not really any reason not to. I think part yeah, of it is just they miss so friendly. many of the cult like so many of the references. This is gonna go straight over their head, like all the Rambo stuff. Like they, there's just yeah. no cultural relative. Like even though they've recently made a Rambo movie, even in 1989, Rambo is struggling to be relevant <laughs> so yeah but it, like the idea of a uhf i mean just you know not like they go into great detail of explaining what uhf is but it's like yeah the, you know like some of the mechanics of a, a tv station you know like oh here's the new fall lineup it's like that doesn't that has no bearing on it. like what is it, what, a lot of it doesn't translate lineup? you're right yeah so it's like, I mean, some of that, just like the TV mentality behind it, it's like, it's just so dated, but you know, there's a part of that. Uh, what's, what's funny actually is as I was watching this, there was, there's one part, I think it's early on in the movie when he first takes over the station they, I mean, they, they, I think they were, they, I know they had it on at one point on one of the TVs that was running in the background, but like they have the, the Mr. Ed, the opening yeah, of Mr. Ed's song. Playing. Right. And it, I mean, it instantly, as I heard it before they actually, they showed it, I heard it and it took me back to when I was a kid watching Nick at night. It was the baby boomer nostalgia that we grew up with. with Yeah, it was. And it was so, I mean, like, I loved the old black and white Nick at night shows. 
Yes. And like because of watching UHF, I went out and I bought I I, I now own the entirety of the Mr. Ed TV series. Fantastic. Um, That's Gilligan's amazing. Island. Uh, the yeah. Dick Van Dyke Show and uh, Beverly Bewitched. Hillbillies is another one of those. So yeah. I'm like, now I can I can have my own Nick at Night whenever Aww. I want because of UHF. Did you get My Three Sons also? That's got to be one. I don't. Ha- I have Get Smart. I've Get oh, Smart. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Dennis, That's a good one. Dennis the Menace and Lassie were another of the of the total black and white ones. I was like, ah, oh, I might need to look for those. It was oh, like, yeah. I, now I can have my own Nick at Night whenever I want because I have like hundreds of episodes of old black and white TV shows. But I was like, that was, it was so fun in that moment. Just like I heard that, the neighing of Mr. Ed, and then, yeah. you know, it was like, oh, Wilbur. Yes, it took me back like instantly. I was like eight again. I was like, man, that was what. If you're not a baby boomer or a Gen Xer, it means nothing. Yeah. It means nothing. And so I was like, it was just, it was just so like to remember what TV used to be like, and it was just, it was so much fun, and you know, and then uh, classically, you know, you have that, you have to have an antagonist, you have to have a villain, and so right. the villain is, oh, he runs the rival TV sh- station, and he's a, he's this <laughs> channel uh, eight or whatever it was, channel six, channel eight, yeah, he's yeah. A, we're uh, what what did he say? Like we're a uh, we're a network affiliate. I forget his little speech. <laughs> And he was just—he was that a UHF station. I love his hissy fit, but like he was so that. over the top. Like <laughs> that was, and that was what made it work. Is like he had like this evil energy, the same as 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 uh, Weird Al did. Like Weird Al was so over the top of his stuff. Oh like, yeah, this good guy point. had the same energy. He but was just bringing evil. it from the other side. You're right. Yeah. He, he, so he, it, he's in that same mold as Dabney Coleman from. Uh, uh, Oh, hot to trot. <laughs> I see a picture of him yes. like in the same kind of a, you know. And uh, it was it was it was funny because I watched uh, I watched the Brady Bunch movie the other night. Um, it's which, a great movie. Uh, it's it is it's a genuinely great movie, but it, yeah. like it was it was funny because it was it was the same kind of thing where it was like the same mechanism got used where um, you had uh, what was uh, what was it Uncle what's his, Uncle Harvey was that it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Uncle from Harvey, UHF? yeah, Uncle Harvey from right. UHF. Uncle Harvey gets into gambling trouble, yeah, and he needs seventy five grand to right. cover his his losses, or he's screwed. And so, I love uh, that his bookie is like a guy with a like a meat cleaver, a detach- yeah. like a detachable hand. I'm just like <laughs> he's Doctor Claw from Inspector he's Dr. Gadget. Claw. Oh my god, like, who you're is right. this he's guy? Because oh, you always have to see him voice. from behind. <laughs> you only see him in his chair. <laughs> and so, like, I, I, I'm watching this, like, this is the exact same thing. You have, okay, he's got to come up with 75 grand. So the, the TV station owner, he finds this out. He's like, ha this is how I'll undo him. I'm he's just going to swoop in. such a degenerate. Like, it was, like, easy come, easy go for him. Like, he's winning yeah. the money. And he's like, oh, great. He's like, your horses all came in. Congratulations. He's like, oh, really? How much yeah. did you win? You know, he doesn't even hardly, it, like, barely, like, it's like water off a duck's ass. Like it doesn't yeah, phase it him at all. Paid, and then he's like, "Oh, you, all your horses lost. You owe me right. seventy five grand." He's like, right. "What?" <laughs> and as like, as okay. Lenny B. Your hog is playing over the radio. <laughs> yes, and I mean, it's just it was just I mean so uh, that's that's where I was like, okay, 
I mean, because this mechanism is not unique, it's no. It, I mean, and that was what I really loved about in the Brady Bunch movie. It's just so campy. mechanism, big time. It yeah. was. It was. Oh no, we owe twenty thousand dollars in back taxes on our house, and right. no one's really that concerned. No. Like they are, but they aren't. And then no, conveniently, exactly. in the Brady Bunch movie, they have the contest, the singing contest, yes. where a hot new artist could win exactly twenty thousand dollars. Right? Because well, it's again, like hot rod to ex- pay for that was, conveniently that was the next priced. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's that staple it's to the point where now it's surgery. It, it's its own parody. It's like okay, it's yep. very conveniently priced. Oh, you need seventy five thousand dollars exactly. <laughs> And so and they the, have to come the, up the with that. The judges are all like David Cassidy and shit. You know, like they go for yes. that Brady Bunch look. <laughs> like nobody oh, else is and, like, and, oh, this was the worst. This is like so bad in the 90s, but they win. And like, how the hell could they win? Cut to the judges. They're all like from it, the like 70s and, and the, 60s. The three guys from the monkeys. It was right. Peter Torque, Mickey Dolans, and uh, Davy Jones. Davy Jones. And so like, yep. that. And so same thing. Uh, you got they they come up with a telethon. Got we're gonna have a telethon. They're gonna sell shares of the show, and it's one of, of the station, and it's one of those things that's you just now we can get all of those goofy acts in one place. Which yes. I I honestly wouldn't mind seeing a lot of that trashed footage. Like they had the brothers who I think one of those guys is married to Bette Midler, if I'm not mistaken. You know, the woo, 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 guys, you know, yeah, with the weird chins and the cross eyed. Yeah. There's a lot of footage on the floor of them doing their act. <laughs> the upside down yod- like yodeling guy. <laughs> I uh, the uh, cuz the the pet guy too. He was great. Oh, keeps uh, chucking yeah. dogs out the window. <laughs> that, Raul that Hernandez. Raul, yeah. We're going to teach but he poodles died. how to fly. He died midway through making this movie. I know, it's sad. Yeah. It's, it was like, "Oh, it's that's such a bummer." But he nailed it, like it so hard they didn't even bother to try to recast. Yeah, it. Like, it was we, like all we, right, he was perfect. The, and I love it's like a master class in editing and like what's funny and like what you can get away with in a PG thirteen movie. They're like, yeah. okay, uh, you can chuck the poodle out the window, but you can't see it hit the ground. And yeah, they're like, exactly. So we did all these takes of the poodles flying out, and they're like, yep, 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 yep. And there, there's a poodle. There's like a pile of dead poodles on the ground that you can see, but you don't see it hit the ground. You just hear the thud, and the camera cuts away. And they're like, honestly, that was the funniest take. That take where you that was the take that like the censors were happiest with. But seeing the poodle hit the pile like wasn't as funny as that split second where you don't see it. And I'm like, that's that's editing for you in a nutshell. And Especially then you, you also had his line about uh, the badgers. We, we don't, don't need, need no, no stinking stinky badgers. <laughs> yeah, which was in itself like a classic '80s parody thing. Like wouldn't wouldn't mean a thing nowadays to anybody. Yes. Um, but yeah, so you're right. I mean, that is the movie in a nutshell. Like he he just sort of stumbles dumb luck into owning or running the station, and does a really good job because as we've established early in the movie, he has this fantastic like this crazy imagination that in life has just gotten him into trouble with big Edna and like all the other, you know, jobs that he names that they get fired from. It pays off for him in this. And 
you know, I, I like that if we could swing back around one more time to like you were talking about UHF and how like some of those mechanics don't really make sense nowadays and your TV lineup. They, they I, I posted a screenshot of like the UHF like Monday through Sunday lineup, you know, and they're all those like, yes. you know, there's like a two whole hour like uh, like block of like Aztec volcano wa- worshiping hours. And like, you yes. know, like what? But the thing that I remember in the early 90s and yes, maybe even the late '80s. UHF doesn't register with me so much, but but um, what's it called? Um, cable access did big time when this movie came out. Oh yeah, and most most towns had a cable access station, and you would get these dudes who, you know, video cameras were very pricey in the late '80s and early '90s. Like you know, those people who like submitted videos to America's Funniest Home Videos, those families were middle class and up you know because like you you couldn't afford those cameras otherwise and so but you would get like you know these kids teenagers to young 20 somethings they would get access to a camera and they would just kind of cobble together their own uh version of a show like usually it was like some sort of ben stiller show type you know like it was like a sketch hour but it was really poorly done across the board yeah but they were they were just getting it a little bit very off the beaten path and every now and then they would do something kind of funny in an embarrassing way. But most of the time it was just garbage, just wall to wall garbage. But every now and then they would do something really funny. And that, that this movie also was coming out around that time when I was discovering cable access. I don't, there may be, I mean, YouTube is just cable access now, honestly. And a lot of YouTube production, you know, like with, with, you know, with, with getting access to, I mean, everything you need to do like a really, professionally looking done video is on your iPhone. Like it's all there. It's nothing. You're not wanting for anything. In fact, you'll see commercials during the Super Bowl where like a new iPhone will come out. They'll get like well-known directors. Like they'll get like a Ridley Scott or something who will make a video done entirely with an iPhone and they look cinematic as hell. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not what UHF and that's not, yeah, that's not what those, these things are about. Like it was all about, we have shitty ass quality equipment, but we have funny ideas and we're just we're just hoping that it translates. We're hoping you can see through the shit and, and laugh with us. And it's just the spirit of YouTube and the spirit of cable access and the spirit of UHF the movie. It all overlaps. There's a Venn diagram here is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think I I think too what what I like about UHF is um because we like it fits in the theme like you go through and you see all of the goofy shows that they have put together yeah and even amongst bowling it, for I, burgers I, I, and yeah uh. <laughs> even amongst it there's there's a handful of like you know like it is like okay from eight thirty to 9 is going to be mr ed so like they would still have like regular yeah. programming mixed yeah. in but there's so many of these outlandish things the what I what I like is because within the framework of the movie, they become this network becomes so successful, and people mm-hmm. just instantly, you know, are drawn to it. It's you know, it's kind of, um, it starts off, you know, Stanley Spadowski is kind of like the catalyst that that's what people, you know, like when when Weird Al is like he's so defeated, so he leaves his own show. Is like all right, here, Stanley, why don't you take over? And from hey, the walk, you want to be, wanna, you wanna have your own TV show, and he's like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, and from the walk from the TV station to the bar that they get to, the show yes. becomes an instant hit. It and does. I, I just, 
I love that. Hey, but it's like people back on TV, like the biker, the biker guys. Everybody <laughs> gathers around the TV, like for the last forty-five seconds. Are like, this is literally the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I have to watch it. I, I think the biker literally says, "Shut up, everybody!" These back yeah. On. <laughs> But, like, I love that within the framework of the movie, like, they kind of validate themselves mm-hmm. in so much as, like, okay, clearly the kind of entertainment that Weird Al provides is different. It's, you know, like, you have this mainstream network that's been successful for so long, and what appeals to the people is the fact that they're given something new, something different, something, I was like... It's and it's well, weird. it was that MTV generation of viewers, you know, they were just looking, yeah. they're starving for something alternative, and, and so and that he and was that the was guy fun. that he was giving it to them, and that was what Weird Al really kind of represented. It's like, I'm gonna give you something that's different than what you're used to. Here's what you're used right. to, I'm gonna give you something like this is juxtaposed just slightly from what you're used to. So it's like, oh, okay, this is a little different. Uh, and and you do I mean like you do kind of have to settle into it because like there's that initial period where like you know when you want to when it's important to be cool and you look to your left and you look to your right like I'm enjoying this but is are are these is everybody else liking this too Yeah is it okay yeah. if I like this And I'm like and what I liked about what I like about what Weird Al represents is like you can like it just to like it yeah. if you like it that's fine like be oh, okay you know liking what you like. Think about 1989 and 1988 too. That was the emergence of the Fox network. That's yeah. when that really first came on the air and shows like married with children and cops and, you know, well, the Simpsons, like th- these were like your alternative versions of the things that we've been spoon fed as a family for generations. And now you suddenly have this sort of wacky alternative version. And, you know, Fox was like, a network um they were not a uhf station <laughs> i love <laughs> his son too his son kind of cracks me up he was such a little like sniveling what? shit and he, I he think is too, the like, definition he, of a wiener oh god yes wasn't he wasn't he a cast member of peewee's playhouse too i think was he jombie was he the guy who was jombie from peewee's playhouse i think he might have been actually yeah he he's another guy who's no had a notable career, but he was yeah, he was just a little was. wiener. <laughs> One of he my was, favorite like lines. He was I, ne- such a I always tell my guys never to call chicks broads or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, because Fran Drescher's on the the phone complaining how poorly she's being treated with her little her little midget cameraman with like that camera that had all of its lenses on like a circle. oh yeah it was like <laughs> turn of the century camera. Oh my lord. <laughs> Uh, just, just great scenes. And you got you, this, all the characters, just goofy, like little, you know, you got the blind guy, the blind guy on the bench and the bum. And he's like, is that it? Yep. Nope. And he's like, he does the Rubik's cube one twist. Is that it? Nope. <laughs> oh yeah. But just, just goofy little bits. Just that's, it's that weird out touch. And that you got change, you know, and he gives him change for a dollar. Like he, he's not just looking for a handout. He just really wants change, but he's so yeah. poor. <laughs> Even that and guy I, has I, been in a lot of things. I think I, I love, I love that. I mean, like it's, <clears throat> it's one of those things. Like, I love that. That's the mechanism that becomes the guy's downfall is like, he gives yes. him a penny that's worth so he much gives money. Him the that- penny. That's right. He's the one that ends it, up buying the last. But he instantly recognizes it, like he's a coin aficionado. Yeah, he's, he's oh like, my "Oh my God. goodness, this is worth Thanks, a ton of money." Mister. 
<laughs> just, but on I'm the like surface, it just looks like a bum who's so happy to get a nickel. <laughs> it's it's just so funny. That, I mean, like, because like, it had been a while since I watched it, so it was like some of the pieces were a little foggy. But yeah. I was like, when when he shows up and Weird Al just gives him change, I was like, oh, that's right. that This guy's, I forget exactly how it works, but it was like, this guy's the mechanism. Like, right. Weird Al was nice to him. And so he's right. going to circle back. And that's going to be the thing at the end. It's like the final nail in, in Fletcher's coffin. It's like, oh, right. yeah, you gave that guy a penny. And he's the one that puts you out of business. And I really enjoy the part, too, when they, when he, when, when RJ just like, it's all hitting him. And like in swoops in Pamela Finkelstein to get the scoop of his demise. Yes. You know, like, we're here live with, with, you know, with RJ Fletcher and you're like, you're penniless and you don't have a station anymore. And he's just like trying to put it all together <laughs> in his head. Like what just happened to me just now? This doesn't make any sense. A lot of great, lot of great performances in this movie. Well, just, and I love the, the, the one other thing that I'll, I'll say, cause we haven't touched is the Philo character. Oh Which, yeah, the Philo character. Yeah, yeah. He's the mad he's, scientist slash alien slash engineer guy. Yes. He, and is, isn't he sort of like a prototype Mitch? Like, can you just picture Mitch looking like Philo? <laughs> oh t- well, what I, what I love is uh, in the in the uh, the trivia as I was watching it, the role of Philo was originally written for um, Joel. Um, oh crap! I just lost his last name. Joel. Uh, he was the, he was the guy that created mystery science here 3000. Um, Oh and, yeah. I can't think of his last name either. Damn. And you, he, you keep uh, talking, I'll look it up. So people don't get mad. He, so he was the, the role was written for Joel Hodgson, Joel Hodgson. Okay. I, I, there you go. There you go. Um, good, and, good uh, save. good save. What? So I, I love, um, I love that that connection to Mr. Sanseer 3000, which is the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, it's cable mm. access. Like, I'm just going to make my own goofy show. Well, here. its roots were, a, it was a cable access show in Minnesota, right? Like, wasn't yeah, it exactly. originally? Yeah. Beautiful. And, Beautiful mean, time. He had, his, he had his robots. It was very low budget. And it was just like, all right, we're going to do something silly. We're going to do something goofy. And then, because the other little nod. Same and thing was, with Double Dare. That was a that was a local yeah. production as well before it went to Nickelodeon Studios. It was it was before its time, but like when you first meet Philo, he hands he hands uh, uh, Weird Al the the two cables. He's like, "Here, I'm going to test exactly. my interocitor." <laughs> yeah. And the interocitor is from the movie This Island Earth, ah. which was the movie that they parodied in Mystery Sanseer Three Thousand, the movie. Oh, and I don't. Nice. None of those. Are, none not, of those. I, I think, didn't read are, that trivia. That's cool. Yeah, they're they're not dominoes that that knock over each other. But I just liked it's like okay, you have this character Philo who is written for Joel Hodgson, right. who's the creator of Mister Sanseer Three Thousand, and he has this interocitor line, which is a direct connection to This Island Earth, which is the movie that they parody in the Mister Sanseer Three Thousand because uh, it was Mike. Uh, Mike was the one by the time uh, they made the movie. Uh, Mike. Uh, oh no, I can't remember Mike's last name. Um, but, uh, so I, I just love that there were two nods to him. It was like, you have this weird, wacky character of Mike Philo. Nelson. Mike Nelson. See there. Thank you. Um, I had to look it up. Uh, I can't take credit for that. <laughs> My fingers uh, clicking and clapping But away. Philo, <laughs> again, Philo was, he was another one of those, like, he was kind of behind the scenes, but like he was, oh, the he was one a that... very competent engineer too. Like he, he oh, orchestrated yeah. the whole downfall of RJ with the, you and know, it was like... so perfect. <laughs> yeah. He just had it. And he was just like ready for it. Totally ready for it. He's like, oh, I recognize an opportunity. 
that's I'm going to take advantage of this. <laughs> and then and then you just have this twist at the end. Is like, all right, I'm an alien, and my time here on Earth is now done. Yes. So yeah. I'm going to go home. And you get that great Pee Wee Herman esque like yeah, large this, Marge the, animation kind of. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it was just like this is. <laughs> but as a just, kid, that was great because like I was technically still a kid when I first saw this movie. Yeah. Like, oh shit, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yes. <laughs> Because you you get that one last little like that was totally random. Okay, he was an alien. Like yeah. it fits. He definitely oh, yeah. he definitely he had seemed the look out of there. an alien. He was not of this world for sure. Yeah, so it's like all right, that that totally works. I mean, but, the whole I mean, movie is just clip after clip after clip of re- like movie parodies, like Gandhi two, Conan the Librarian, Dog, yes, all the dude. He just fucking splits that guy in half. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, a, it's like a harsh cut to that guy in half. Like I love yes. that so much. The Gandhi two is the director of the movie. Weird Al's longtime yes. manager who directed a lot of his videos from the eighties, which I thought was very cool that he brings along. Driving like, around, hey, was it a Ferrari? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Tur- the Ferrari uh, uh, three whatever three fifty or whatever it was. Yeah, he just like hops out of it and he's like ready to fight, like slamming the guy's head on the yes. hood. And they were like, "Please don't damage this expensive Ferrari that we rented for like an hour. We can't pay for this thing." And I love in the in the commentary, he was like, "If this if this were like a um, oh god, who directed uh, Beverly Hills Cop? Oh god, John Landis, John Landis." Uh, yeah, no, it's like no, if this were a John the, Landis movie, um, they would have already wrecked like four Ferraris. <laughs> yeah. They would have blown just blown them up just like that's the <laughs> just opening. Just completely blown them up. Well, at the end of a movie, it's like, uh, I love I love watching a movie where there are a lot of car stunts and they'll show Starsky and Hutch did it, Dukes of Hazard, the the Broken Lizard yeah. guys did it. Like they'll just show scene after scene of the red car getting smashed to bits or like the you know the generally just completely falling apart after a jump oh, yeah. instead of harmlessly landing like you see in the movie oh i could go for those types of things all day but it just goes to show like the the modest budget they had of five million even though i mean orion was like a big deal in the 80s you know, like they 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 i mean they had robocop right or orion yep. did they, they had a lot of movies and um th- this was one of the i mean they're not around anymore you see the logo, it's back, it seems. Like, didn't Halloween yeah. have yeah, the Orion logo? And I, I remember don't know being, somebody... like, really excited about that. Like, holy shit, Orion's back? Yeah, I feel like somebody, like, bought it, like, you know, are propping it back. It was like, all right, we're going to use this, which, I mean, yeah. would make a lot of sense because it's one of those. Well, especially if you're doing, like, a reboot or something, right? Because, I yeah. mean, a lot of these fans from when the thing you're rebooting was popular remember that orion logo with the stars yeah. going in a circular oh and then it becomes the O, and then orion goes across it's like the tri-star with the the pegasus jumping i mean yes. it's just like one of those things from the 80s you just remembered because uh, i don't know that i've ever actually watched this movie with the commentary but i remember hearing somewhere as the orion's coming on isn't it weird al singing some kind of song like orion orion is bankrupt oh. It's it's in the commentary of UHF. He sings it a yeah. lot, which made me love him so much. Because like we all do that, you like make up little songs on the fly. Yeah, Orion, we're bankrupt. <laughs> I love Weird Al. He's the best. He's so fantastic. He, he's he's in concert here this summer. I I noticed he's doing um, a, a show of of all his uh, greatest hits at in one of the amphitheaters around here. I, I might have to go check that out. 
And it's not even that expensive. It's like 40 or 50 bucks. I remember people bitching about it. Like, who wants to pay 40 bucks to see where? I'm like, that's nothing. Janet that's Jackson really was $300 plus to see her show. Come on. Yeah, and 40 I'm not, bucks. I'm not like shitting on Janet Jackson. I think he's all, she's awesome too, but... You know, 40 or 50 bucks to see Weird Al, a living legend. That's not that much that, money. That fee, I'm like, well, like, I mean, so, okay, what's the price point? Like, it should be $10 and he should be performing <laughs> at know. Applebee's. <laughs> like, I mean, what? $40 to see Weird Al. I was like, okay, I mean, that seems reasonable to me. Oscar Mayer, like, meat factory, like, meat canning factory. <laughs> like, oh, he's he's got his own DoorDash now. He's going to bring you a hot dog and a Twinkie. <laughs> I love that spatula city commercial <laughs> where the guy like smacks forehead. Cause he doesn't have a spatula. He's like, oh, yeah, damn it. <laughs> All right, kids, let's go. <laughs> and a lot of the people in this movie are like local. Uh, Cause I think they filmed it in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So there's a lot of these like weird kind of off the beaten path. People who you've never seen in anything are now starring in this movie. They're just like Tulsa guy, like big Ed and has a Tulsa implant. Yeah, <laughs> like this, Big Edna is just somebody they like found in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Was like, hey, you want to be Big Edna in this movie? Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? And even that bit's hilarious, where she's like carrying them out the door, she, like and, throws like, them, just kind of gives them like a little tug, and they just go flying way up into the air, and their voices are screaming, and then the camera pans over, and then they land in front of the camera. Good stuff classic i feel like we probably talked enough about uhf it's a good solid hour and a half episode i just want to play one more clip if you don't mind it it's one of Go my favorite it. bits in the movie and we've yet to mention it and it's the it's the pre stanley's fun house with when weird al's trying to make a go of the show hey kids where do you want to go these kids are depressed as shit. That's right. I'm your Uncle Nutsy. And boy, oh boy, are we going to have some big fun today, huh, kids? <laughs> well, let's walk on over and see who's in our kitty corner. Hi, what's your name? Billy. Billy what? <laughs> he spits on his nose. It can't keep from laughing and in the commentary they were like we told this kid not to laugh he just could not laugh <laughs> he, yeah he's trying so hard but he, like <sighs> that spit take was the perfect they couldn't they couldn't do another one and it no. was just mucusy enough too because it's like hanging for it's like hanging off his nose <laughs> but that when they're like in the like half filled bleachers every one of those kids were like their stepdad dropped him off there. Like, yeah, their like stepdad here. is trying to hook up with Pamela Finkelstein in the reception. So, like, I'll, every one I'll of those be back kids. in a couple hours, kids. Yeah, daddy's got to get some liquid happiness in him. I'll be right back. Daddy's got to visit his friend Roy at the OTB. <laughs> so that that's UHF. We're we're gonna. Uh, at this point of the show, we're going to talk about our next episode. Cause like I said, this is part one of four uh, of movies, uh, April fools. And who would be the fool in this movie? I mean, you got a lot of, a lot of characters to pick from, but ultimately is George the fool or is it Stanley? Like who would be the big fool in this movie? Uh, I think, I think I gotta go George because I think gotta the, go the, George. The, okay. Yeah. Cause I think he's, he's the lovable fool that brings it all together. He is. And when he when he tosses that poodle into the to the punch, uh, that's another one of yes. those scenes that just never fails to make me chuckle. It's just the movie's filled with little chuckle moments. Like none of them are like just really hilarious, but they all make me chuckle. Pretty I, hard. I, I, I listening to that last clip, like I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, why did he not have an early '90s Fox animated show? 
I don't know. There, like, you know, I feel like have, he really should have. Weird Al did have, like, a variety. I think it was on MTV because he had Harvey the Wonder Hamster. Like, Harvey's, like, one of those names that, like, just reappears in Weird Al. Lore. Yeah. He did have a show. like, But I think it was, like, just a series of MTV specials because it could totally work there. But, yeah, why not a Fox thing, you know, because CBS had Saturday TV. morning or afternoon I mean, like, a, like, like life with Louie. If Vern could get a show, why can't Weird Al get a show? That's what yeah. I'm saying. Hammer Man. There was an MC Hammer show. Oh why was God. there not a Weird Al show? Oh, you meant not not even a variety show, but just like as an animated no, star just like of a, his own show. Like an, anim, like an animated cartoon show Fuck for yeah, kids. yeah, if New Kids on the Block can have their own show, then Weird Al can yeah. have a show. That's all I'm saying. I'm like, because I mean, I do. I think like Fox Kids Network... You know, like the Saturday morning stuff, the at the afternoon. That could have been four to five seasons. He could have been a staple of Fox Fox. Kids I mean, like shows. he. I mean, he. I like. I really. I feel like if I go back in time, that would be one of the things that I would fix. Like, uh, you guys need to give Weird Al an animated show on Fox. He's not too old. You could still do something with Weird Al. He's still hanging like around there. <laughs> Ninety-two to ninety-five is when that should have run. It should have. They told somebody dropped the ball right there. Yeah. And, and in 92 to 95. So let's see. Al Palooza, which had bedrock anthem and achy breaky song. Yeah. He didn't do achy breaky fart, but he did achy breaky song. Like right, right in that frame. Cause like Al Palooza, like Al Palooza wasn't like a huge hit for him. He could have, he should have been starring on Fox. Between, he really should have. In between off the deep end, which had smells like Nirvana and the white stuff, there should have been. A, sh- a three to four year run of the Fox kids show. And then he could have gone right into bad hair day in 96. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't have missed a beat, but you know, whatever. All right. So what's, what's your pick uh, so that everyone can watch the movie and do your homework for our next episode. Who are you, who are you going to uh, select for your April? So show? my, my first pick uh, coming up next for, um, for this, this, Oh, I guess this is our second year of doing our April Fools. Yeah, is, we're rolling around into our second year of this format, which I'm very happy about. We've really stuck to it. <laughs> quite possibly, I mean, it's one of it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that. It's prob- probably in my top five. Yep. Um, and it's where my namesake is derived from, the Nighthawk. Oh, okay, okay. So it's the it's the uh, Will Ferrell, uh, it's the classic John Will Ferrell, John yeah. C. Riley vehicle with Adam McKay back when the three of them were making fantastic <sighs> the, movies together. They were like the Rush. They were the triumph, the holy triumphant they, of comedy. It, it was just when <laughs> life made sense and everything was good. The two thousand eight classic Step Brothers before Watson and happened, and they all yes. gave, they were all like, "That's it, before we're done." It, <laughs> Before the wheels fell off and yeah. it just rolled down the street, sparks flying everywhere. No, that's that's a good one. So we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about Step Brothers. Strap in, kids. We're talking about Step Brothers next time. So get excited yes. for that. And uh, to to bring us out, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit of um, the theme song of UHF instead of our usual because it's such a jamming little tune and I love it. It's a great song. So enjoy a little bit of UHF. We're going to go out on that. We'll see you next time with Step Brothers. Thanks for listening, everybody.